0: Well, hey, everybody. Every now and then, I love to have a guest on my show who himself is a successful entrepreneur who may have an interesting story to share with us. And today is one of those days. I can't tell you how excited I am to be able to bring this show to you. I'm just so anxious. We're going to go straight to the intro and get you going, and we'll be right in right after this. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I am Doug Thorpe, and it's a pleasure to be back with you today. As we said in the segue, I've got a spot today. I call it a detour, call it a special preview, whatever. I um I love having an opportunity to have a guest on who themselves has accomplished great things in the business world, taken a, a neat idea and really turned it into a successful enterprise. And today my guest is just that kind of person. His name is Jake Sasseville. Jake, welcome to the show, man.
1: Thank you so much, Doug. I know we've been planning on this for a while, and it's good to actually dive in and, and have this conversation.
0: I know, I know. And what I, what I want to do, and, and boy, I've got a I've got hundred things spinning through my mind right now. I, I probably should have organized it a little better, but um, why don't we dive right in, Jake, just explain a little bit about the journey you've been on and this uh, great company that you've built and yeah, there, well, where is it how'd you get there all that good stuff
1: the path to success is led with uh, quite a number of failures but one of the things that has really served me is actually doing what you're doing you said that you weren't that you would have liked to have been better prepared but really there's no better way to show up in a conversation for investment or for podcasts or for sales than just to be present with whatever's right in front of you so i'm kind of enjoying that that's your your flow with it already um Yeah, I, you know, currently I'm the CEO and founder of Imaloa Institute in Costa Rica. Imaloa is, I guess one might see it as a retreat center. We call ourselves an institute. And we are working with transformational leaders and uh, impact catalysts and educators from all around the world, some of the top folks in their fields, in their disciplines. They come to Imaloa in the jungle in Costa Rica, and they teach and their guests get to learn with them uh, and also have this really surreal experience in the jungle. And I say surreal experience. I'm not sure I realized that it was any different than any other place that hosts retreats because I had never been to a retreat before I started this retreat center. Oh, my goodness. Can imagine. Yeah. I'm giving you a lot to unpack here, Doug. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so. But what I've recognized through the guest surveys and serving thousands of people over the last four years and and hundreds of hosts is that these unspeakable moments in nature, along with the gourmet food, in addition to whatever they're teaching, whatever the host is teaching, is creating this really transformational experience for folks, whether you're in corporate, whether you're looking for health or wellness or, or other niche focuses. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the niche focus teachers we have and there are audiences of people that are dying to know this stuff and learn more and i mean i could go into specific examples but that's essentially at a high level what we're doing and we just provide an excellent service before during and after people come to costa rica and the results kind of speak for themselves and we can talk about the results but i always find the stories much more interesting than the yeah, results absolutely so
0: and, and I, I, what I want to do, I think it's important, uh, I want to do something totally different than I usually do in my shows. I want you to give us that website address right now, and I want to encourage people to hit the pause button, listen to this uh, URL, and go take a look at what they've done with this institute is this, this lovely plush place out in the jungles of costa rica um yeah go ahead jake what's the web, web address? so
1: the website is imiloa institute so i-m-i-l-o-a com. alternatively you can go to youtube and just search him and we have some gorgeous videos there just so you can kind of immerse yourselves as you're listening to this you can see visuals of, you know, what we're dealing with. I mean, we're talking about 200-year-old homes from Bali on top of a mountain overlooking the ocean, geodesic domes on a river, um, bungalows in a sloth sanctuary. I mean, these are just a few of the accommodations, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. you can get a sense of it if you if you go there. Thanks for inviting people to do that. And, I think and, that's and
0: great. I, I really think it's important, folks, because we're, we're going to talk more about the details of how this journey unfolded, but I, I, this is one of those... You gotta see the end before you understand the the impact of of how the journey has has unfolded. So, I'm gonna encourage you. That I, I don't ever want to encourage anybody to shut off the podcast, but I'll encourage you to hit the pause button, go look up the link, browse around a little bit, and by the way, just my two cents for what it's worth, and that may be all just two cents, but. Jake and his team have done an amazing job on the website, just the interactive nature of it and the graphics and the flow and the, the spirit of what comes out of this place, what they've created, and there, there are some really unique elements of this, so I'm going to tell you, hit the pause, we're going to just take a two count here to let you uh, have a logical break, and then we'll be right back. Okay. I hope you got a chance to jump out there and take a look at that. Um, so, so Jake, let's, let's go back. Let's rewind it. As I recall, you were thinking about launching this in Hawaii originally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I believe one of the things about being an entrepreneur that I've kind of just followed the breadcrumbs of is that for me, if I can look at what has caused me the most pain in life, and if I can start to solve that, I might just discover my purpose. Now that might sound like a name of a book or some shticky thing. It's actually what's happened here. You know, I looked at what most bothered me in life and I thought, well, what can I I do? How can I make it my life's purpose? So I had Hawaii after losing everything and spending two years in the basement. Literally, I was in my late twenties. My house got washed away in a hurricane. Uh, My Texas friends definitely know about hurricanes. Um, Hurricane Sandy that wiped through New York, literally washed my house out to sea in Jamaica Bay. Uh, And I had lost all my TV contracts. In my teens and 20s, I was on television and I had lost all these contracts and everything had basically evaporated for me in my life. And I had to really reassess what the heck I was doing and why I was doing it. And I got what I thought was gonna be a month in grandma's basement in Maine to do that. I ended up having two years. Uh, The phone went silent. Everything just stopped for the first time in my life. Um, and I started and failed at five businesses and the sixth one worked. And that's what allowed me to move to Hawaii. It was a podcast actually, lo and behold, the, that, that earned me some cash and and some credibility. And I was able to get out the basement and move to Maui. And I had this big old house dug in Maui. I was Airbnb-ing the cottage in the backyard um, to pay for the house. I was making like 10 grand a month on just the Airbnb, if you can imagine. Uh, and then I had this open house and I would invite friends and friends of friends And people were like having these mind blowing experiences just by coming to Maui and being in my house and I wasn't doing anything special. I was just living my life, doing my yoga, inviting people over, not charging people because it was like my service, right? Um, I, I really believe in this idea of servant leadership, something that in the short time you and I have known each other. I mean, I don't know how many of you listening know Doug personally, but the level of care and introductions that this man has done in the short time of us knowing each other He is such a, you know, you really are the servant leader. And I really think that you can reap the most benefit when you are in service to others. And so that's what my house was really in Maui. And I realized something that kind of blew up this idea of starting an institute. And it was that people were having these transformational experiences just in my home. And so I realized people want to feel at home in their transformation. And for some reason in 2017, 18, it was in a bottle where retreat centers were getting hot. This wellness market was starting to open up now. It's exploding post COVID. And it was listening to the whisper and tuition, whatever you want to call it at the right time of, you know, the market conditions were at the right time. And so we're able to raise the money. My my ex now ex business partner um, was primarily chiefly responsible for raising the money. We raised over $3 million with five posts on Facebook. He had a very robust network on on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, three and a half million in cash, five posts over a few weeks. And these were not elevated, these were not boosted posts. These were literally just, you know how you would say what you're doing on Facebook back when the algorithm And just his friends rallied around this vision. And uh, we were originally going to do it in Hawaii. Regulations didn't allow us to do it. So we decided Costa Rica would be the first of seven intercontinental locations. So we're actually building one of these institutes on every continent on the planet over the next several years. So that gives a little bit of the background. Yeah.
0: Fabulous. So, So let's talk a little bit about the... I don't know if you call it the culture or the, but but just the vibe that goes on at this center. So you've got accommodations in, in a very interesting and and glorious nature related place. But but what else have you packed into this uh, facility that you've created?
1: So culture is a very interesting word to bring up, Doug, because I think as leaders we crave to create good culture, positive culture. Um, It's often very difficult, I've learned, because of a variety of factors. In my case, during COVID, two of my business partners, both the COO and the CEO, stepped down from their positions and out of the company ultimately. And that was for a variety of reasons that I'll write about someday in a book. But the culture was really bad at Imaloa. like despite being this retreat center and transformation and these huge lofty ideals, the infighting and the backbiting and the, it was just poorly set up. And I was responsible for that, right? I was a partner CMO. But once I started to step in as CEO, which I really didn't want to step into this thing as CEO at all, I started to really focus on culture. How are people relating? How are they interrelating? How is the institute supporting our people? And by our people, I mean the 40 people that we employ here in Costa Rica. How are those people then, what's the byproduct of them supporting our clients? And so I realized we had a really toxic culture because there was a lack of trust. Trust was completely eroded, not because I was lying, but because of what I was keeping from the team as I tried to navigate and kind of bring the plane back up to 30,000 feet when before during COVID, it was just careening toward a mountainside. And so I learned all these things about like the foundational aspects of trust. I always thought trust was just don't lie. Well, trust is actually tell the truth. It became a core value coming out of COVID. It's not that we don't lie, it's that we tell the truth. And so slowly over years i and plus i'm dealing in a foreign country i'm in costa rica my whole team is either tico which means costa rican or indigenous costa rican so i'm like dealing with a culture and a language barrier in addition to trying to create a culture of trust and safety so that we can somehow survive this thing i mean it was really it was really trippy now the result of many years of work and solid coaching and vulnerability on my part we have a, a strong culture. The culture is really one of, it's like a spirit of service and a posture of learning. That is the leadership culture that we've created among the senior and mid-level team. Um, the, the accommodations are one thing, like you referenced. I would say the overall, um, the, the, the core of, of who it is we are is a learning center. And that's not just for the people that are coming, it's also for our people. So as I started to right-size the culture, personal and professional development started to become important. By the end of this year, it's been a long journey, but every person will have a personal and professional development plan within the organization, whether you're a housekeeper all the way up to the vice president. And so, yeah. So the feeling you can tell, it's a feeling one of like wanting to be better, wanting to show up better, wanting to do better by our families and by our friends. And we're getting that from work. I think that the biggest testament to this and and then I'll turn it back over because I know I've, I've shared a lot. Our general manager who's done this for 20 years at the top retreat centers in Mexico and Costa Rica, he said this is by far his favorite job, which is lovely. But he said what Imaloa, working at Imaloa, has done is for him, it's always been separate. Service to humanity and work and how he earns money has always been separate. And this is the first time in 20 plus years that he's able to come to work every day and feel like he's both serving human beings and earning a living at the same place at the same time. That's the culture that we've created here.
0: So I love your core phrase
1: that defines your culture. Say it again, what is it? That we approach uh, leadership from a spirit of service and a posture of learning.
0: Spirit of service and posture of learning. I want everybody to think about that for a minute. That is a spirit of service and a posture of learning. That's a, <laughs> I a don't big know, one. Maybe I over spiritualize a lot of things, but that is one of the most powerful culture statements I think I've ever heard anywhere.
1: Wow. And you have um, been around the block a few times, Doug. Well, That's a powerful I have. For you to and
0: say. <laughs> and and all of my listeners will know that on some just not so recent episodes, we, we've hit this idea of company culture being able to support a brand as as a real challenge. Mm-hmm. And typically, businesses, large and small, do it exactly opposite. They invest their time and money defining a brand mm-hmm. and they say, you know, I want to become the famous blue brand and we're going to do X, Y, and Z out in the market and we're going to represent these values, yada, yada, yada. But they do Zippo, zero, nada, trying to build the culture to support that. But what I'm hearing, you've you've taken the statement of culture and and that really is ultimately your whole brand in the or for the people that come to the institute
1: unintentionally so I, I should say because you know now we're obviously investing tremendously in our team. We always have, but now we see it as crucial because people, we have 86% renewals, which is unprecedented in the hospitality business. Like these people are spending forty and fifty thousand dollars a week to host it in Maloa. They could host anywhere they want in the world. And we're also top dollar. How in the heck are we doing 86% renewals on this? It's because of the people that are there. People feel they feel so familiar, they feel so safe that it it feels like family for the for the team. It's unlike anything they've experienced because they're mostly hospitality trained. They're trained not to show any emotion or personality. And so they've been unleashed to be able to actually have a personality while at work. So it's these two very interesting things. But I think to your point about which came first, the chicken or the egg, which came first, a culture or a, you know a brand, I think one of the reasons why, and I'm not saying it's the traditional way at all and that most folks, entrepreneurs like me don't have the luxury to do what I'm about to say. Because our investors initially were really social impact investors, they looked at the capitalistic structure that often dictates, which came before the, the, you know, the chicken or the egg, the brand or the culture. And it was just looked at differently. So it gave me more time to not know who it is we were, Now, granted, I'm a I'm a I'm a top performer. So like they gave me the space and I met them in their generosity by taking action and figuring it out. But because I had that space about a year or so where we didn't know who the heck we were. I was on the phone for 12 hours a day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for two years talking to retreat hosts, doing the market research. I talked to 2,300 retreat hosts to figure out what the heck the market was doing and how I could be a part of it and what the best practices would be. I didn't know anything about anything. I was literally doing it as we were building. But what that year afforded me to do is I was able to not know who we were. We had a lofty mission. We brought in really skilled coaches early on and we started to define it, but it was defined based on who we wanted to be rather than who we set out to be at the beginning. Um, And so I think that's, again, a luxury that I recognize is not available to every entrepreneur who's raising three and a half million dollars, but it was available to us. And I'm very grateful because it allowed us to build something totally differentiated in the market.
0: Well, there's, there's an interesting parallel here um, in a, an episode that's uh, yet to be published on my podcast. I interviewed mm. a guy named um, Steve Anderson and he did an interesting deep dive into Jeff Bezos and he wrote a book called The Bezos Letters. And one of the uh, early indicators, and by the way, the, the, the so what in this book is that ever since 1997 and until Bezos stepped down as CEO, every year every letter basically reaffirmed reasserted the vision that he had from day 1 and and without going into all the details part of it was the uh what you popularly call the long game he specifically mm-hmm. told investors in the letter if you're focused on this quarterly dividend annual return mindset of traditional capitalism Go away. (laughs) You don't need to be part of my investment play. We are in this for the long term and it's going to take a while, but I think you're going to be really happy if you hang with us and, you know,
1: the thing is, is that that takes a paradigm shift, Doug. And so I, I wonder, I know that you're doing the questions and I, and I and I, respect that, but part of me wants to be in conversation and I am in conversation with people who are my peers and whatever else and those who, who mentor, who I consider as mentors, how we move the cultural conversation and the capitalistic conversation to be more based on on those principles. Because, you know, I talked to, I, I also have a podcast and I talked to this guy, Douglas Rushkoff. Uh, he, he wrote a book called Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus." And one of the things that he talks about famously is growth, and how in Silicon Valley, growth is king it's, it's the most important thing, and yet in any other organism, including the human organism, if you grow as much as you know uh, Silicon Valley would like you to be able to grow, it's also called cancer. like in a human yeah. organism, if you overgrow, it's called cancer. i don 't know if you and I discussed that, but this idea of like needing to grow. It's kind of toxic, actually, and it's been it's been predominant over the last several years. And I just wonder if there's a a way to shift the conversation with folks.
0: Well, and, and that my quick answer to that is, yes, I think it can and should be revisited in many cases. There are definitely situations where the traditional growth mindset does work you you can build a business build a company and have a wonderful life Mm -hmm. Uh, you know doing a 2x 3x 5x kind of growth thing over time and everybody will call you a winner but i think my point is when you're Mm. really revolutionizing an industry or being a true disruptor of something it's that long game that has to become the mindset. You you mm-hmm. can't make the big decisions you've got to make for that disruptive model and worry about a quarterly earnings report. Mm-hmm. It just, and your investors have to be comfortable with that. They have to be bought into the cause. You know, mm-hmm. what are we, what are we trying to build here?
1: So I think that, you know, we, I, I just, I'm in the middle of a recapitalization within Maloa, Um, And one of the things that I had to do was to write a really clear executive summary. And I got to tell you, it turned, it turned off about 90% of potential investors because I was so clear on what we needed now to get to the next step. So maybe a part of it is actually the entrepreneur <laughs> being willing, like Jeff Bezos was in 97 all the way through being willing to be honest and being willing to sacrifice dollars uh, in the process, because I know we just went through that, and a lot of people were like, "No way," and that's okay, because we found some amazing capital partners to join us, and uh, and they're they're aligned, their mission aligned, they're getting their you know they're financially aligned. Anyway, so yeah, I think it's clarity on the on. I think it starts with the clarity on on the uh, from the entrepreneur. Well, I mean,
0: it goes back to one of the principles you said. You know, this whole idea of building trust is just telling the truth. It's
1: just and
0: the truth. if your truth is we need a longer runway to build this thing the way we believe it can and should be. Okay, that's a statement of truth. And yeah. if I've got some cash on the sideline and I'm looking at that and that's not okay with me, well, it's not a fit. You, mm-hmm. you know. Thank you very much. Let's part ways. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if if I have that more, call it if you want to, is service mindset or greater good or building a really um, interesting alternative to things that are traditionally out there, you know, why not come on board?
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah tell you what, Jake, we're already up on a break point here in the show. This is fantastic. Uh, we've got some more to cover folks a little bit more if you want to call it blocking and tackling about how Jake has has built this thing. And uh, he's got some interesting uh, ideas that I want to get into with him when we get back from the break. So hang with us. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. DougThorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's DougThorpe.com. All right, everyone, we're back. Today, I'm talking with Jake Sasseville, and uh, we are talking about his journey as an entrepreneur to build this amazing uh, enterprise. It is a retreat space, I guess. Uh, I find myself being a little bit at loss for words about it. It's called the Imaloa Institute. It is in Costa Rica. And in the first half of the show, I invited you to go to his website and really check it out. So you'd have the mental image of what we're talking about here. But now I want to get into a little bit of the detail and blocking and tackling of the story. So Jake alluded to the fact that at one point he had collected his investment capital but then got busy on trying to make it happen and you made 2300 phone calls around the globe
1: 2300 zooms more or less we did the average of what 12 or wednesdays i would do 13 hours you know 13 hours of calls which is one call per hour um and uh, tuesdays and thursdays i would do 12 so we averaged it out over two two and a half years to be about 2300
0: calls wow yeah and 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 (laughs) Number one, how did you find those people that had meaningful input? And two, uh,
1: what was it specifically you were seeking from them, as you called them? I should set this up properly, Doug, for you and your viewers, uh, listeners. So I, when it's not an exaggeration when I say that we raised this money and bought this property in the middle of the jungle in Costa Rica, and I had never been on a retreat before. This is not something that I say that sounds cute. This is something that is, I had a vision. I thought I could make a dent, thought I could disrupt, but I was gonna to have to do some major legwork, especially since the three and a half million dollars was wired to me. So I arrived in Costa Rica with literally nothing. I had liquidated my 4,000 square foot home. I get on the ground here and, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it, I had three distinct homes and I had to build 14 others if I was gonna serve the initial contracts that I had sold, which were basically referrals. So basically what I did was I hadn't always made the mistake as an entrepreneur to seek PR and attention before I actually build something. I'd done that for years on television. I had always sought to market before I knew what the hell, excuse the language, I think we're proper in Texas here, what the heck, uh, I knew what I was doing. You know, I would always market and spend money on marketing. I made myself a promise, frankly, I had to, because I was put up against the wall with very little budget. It's not like I was given an operating budget. I had to create it out of nothing, nothing being deposits of people that would host retreats here. So what I did was I hired a guy named uh, Yasir in Pakistan, list builder. I don't know if you know the term list building or if Mm -hmm. your listeners do, basically just as it sounds, it's building a list. And I said to myself, well, I gotta do market research and sales at the same time. So I told him, I I remember doing a Zoom call with him and I shared a map of the whole world. As I said, yes, here you're gonna start in Portugal and you're gonna list every retreat center in Portugal and every retreat host that hosted every retreat center in Portugal. Then you're gonna go to France and do the same thing. Then the UK, then Ireland, Scotland, down all the African countries. So over the course of a year, Doug, I built a list of every retreat center in the world and every retreat host at every retreat center in the world. We're talking close to 40,000 people, yeah, when all is said and done. And then I had an assistant who would email these people and invite them into conversation with me, and that is what resulted in the 2,300 calls uh, and so we built a list that way. We didn't do an ounce of marketing, not an ounce of Facebook ads, not a not Google ads, nothing. It was all smiling and dialing. And of the 2,300 calls, I probably closed 50 contracts total. Um, but that gave us what we needed to stay in the game. And then as we got out of COVID, that process of list building, we did through ads. We hired a great agency in Miami And now it's a webinar that runs itself. So I don't need to talk 13 hours a day to people. Um, But that's how it started. And and now this is how it's going. So now we have thousands of people that go through that webinar every week. We have certain qualifying questions that weed them out or put them on certain tracks um, if they're not our core customer. Uh, And then we do contracts this way. So it's evolved, but that initial grit was so needed for me as the, at that point, the CMO and partner, now the CEO, to really understand what I was dealing with and how I could disrupt. There's no shortcut for it. All these people, I know you're just about to say something, all these people talking about hacking this and life hacking that. And that all sounds nice, but it's, uh, it's a shiny object at the end of the day and often in place of needing to do the real work.
0: Well, that's where I was going is that um, during the break, we were talking about this uh, before we came on. And I think I said something to the effect so many entrepreneurs I know about who have started businesses, they've got this idea, they've got this service, this product, this thing, and they just kind of go nose to the grindstone and sort of start to launch out and, and get going on it. But they've done no particular market research to validate that it's A, even a good idea, B, what's a price point that's reasonable, C, you know, are there features they've forgotten about or not thought about? All of those things. And next thing you know, year two or three, the market is telling them you're close, but no cigar. And, and now you need to totally re-engineer everything. And by doing that dogged determinated, <laughs> determination work that you did, I mean, that's, that's gold, man.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, what I got to see, not only was it gold to get the info, but it was gold to see the pain. You know, we stumbled upon this model that was disruptive of charging per person, per night period for retreat hosts, per person, per night period. And the reason is because number one pain point that I was seeing, and I was literally charting the emotional and psychological pain points over 2,300 people, um, I realized that vagueness around money, other retreat centers are quite vague according to our clients around money. Uh, and they charge, you know, this much for this room, but this much for that room. This one. and at the end of the day, the host doesn't know what the heck they're making. So now people come to Imaloa. Hosts make more money than they do anywhere else in the world because they have a sense of clarity. We just charge per person per night. We include everything. It's a five star experience from the food to the private plane to the private SUVs. Everything's included, and then whatever they charge on top of that is theirs to keep. So now they know before they even sign a contract, how much they're going to make this level of clarity. It may sound like, well, of course, but we're the only people in the world doing this. I'm like, how are we the only, everyone else is charging per room or a flat fee for renting. We charge per person per night period. And we include everything. And that only could have come out of listening to the pain points of these people and charting it and marking it. And yeah, you get it. I mean, you get yeah. it.
0: That's uh, and again the the I think it was Da Vinci that said uh, you know elegance is simplicity or simplicity is elegance something oh, like that. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, and it it does it and it kind of harkens what I say and harp about on on my show here. You know, common sense. How long? Why did it take? Or why has the industry not gone to something like that? You know, to, exactly. to get it done. But, you know, I guess I'd go so far as this may be a little ethereal, but back to your basic core belief, that servant mindset, Um, you're serving the hosts that want to bring people to your place. Totally. And you're not just serving the guests that show up, but you're serving the hosts so that they can be supported in a possibly life-changing experience for their clients that they're asking to come to this and it's so simple it's just really straightforward that's amazing
1: yeah cheers and we've gone a step further too we because we were like oh do we serve hosts or do we serve guests and at the end what we've determined is our core customer is these hosts right the end users also very important are their guests even if we sell a ticket to event so even just getting clear on that like you have what we do Anyway, core customer, we want to obsessively, like you say, serve them and everything else trickles out. Team happiness, customer happiness, renewals, survey responses, participants, word of mouth from serving that core. So yeah, I really appreciate the space you give to be able to talk about the stuff like this because this is the stuff I think about. And I'm sure people listening to your show, Doug, think about this as well and the stuff I care about, but so little of the time I get to actually talk about because I'm in action with it. So I just really appreciate the platform that you created here.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. I, I I do think it's just so vitally important because, again, I guess, you know, part of the audience I want to serve is the small business owner who has basically bet the farm on on what they're doing. And... They may be going into it without any business background, without any real strategy on on how to do the right thing. It's just this incredible passion and commitment to whatever the idea is that they've got. But there are so many steps to build up and create the ultimate success in what, what they're doing. So... You said your your long range vision is you're going to build one of these centers on every continent, right?
1: Well, my long range vision is that we impact a billion people through transformational experiences in nature. That's my 30-year big hairy audacious goal. The vehicle that we use to get that is, you know, the the beginning vehicle I think over the next 10 years is seven intercontinental institutes.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I, I do want to talk about, before we burn up all the time here, I, I do want to talk about some of the ideas that are packed into some of these retreats. And so I, I know we've talked about, you've got guys like me that come in and do leadership retreats and things like that, but you've got so much going on with health, wellness, food, all of yeah. all of that. So, yeah describe some of that for us
1: so there's there's a core uh, in terms of what differentiates us it's really nature gourmet food and our team so that kind of come and our service create that those four things really provide the experience of home the topics that are covered are wide ranging and i did that on purpose because i get restless and so i didn't want to just be a yoga retreat center when we first started out because can you imagine doing yoga retreats all the time? Like, how annoying would that get? So we've looked at 10 or so different topics, areas of interest, and then we've approached people in the top of their field uh, in each of those areas. So whether it's intuition and meditation retreats, whether it's sexuality and sensuality retreats, we have women's retreats, men's retreats, couples retreats, um, art Art retreats, if you can imagine, I think the more obscure retreats that we have that you'd be like, what? Is we have the world's top animal psychic that hosts at Imaloa. This woman will literally do a reading of your dog, literally, and I've seen her do it. She's actually become a very good friend of mine. She'll talk and she'll tell you what your dog's been thinking of you and seeing in you the whole time. And then it creates this whole weird. Now, that might sound ridiculous to some of your viewers but or listeners but it, th- she's legitimate she's developing a tv show like and it really is like a psychological experience for, wow. for pet owners and she teaches other people how to do this it's really at its core i could, could
0: use her with the last dog i owned
1: i'm telling you i needed to some get praise. in his
0: head i really she, did
1: <laughs> see there's a market even doug thorpe in, in texas So she has people, she does these retreats with 22 people. Now, not all of them are interested in animal communicating, but they're interested in their intuition, right? So we have all of these modalities. And at the end of the day, what people really keep coming back to Imaloa for, some of them, some people come three, four, five times. We've had people who just keep coming. They're really coming back because nature, when you immerse yourself in nature, like we have the jungles and the rivers and waterfalls and ocean, everything is at Imaloa. When you immerse yourself in it, you get back to who it is you really are. Because we all come from nature, you know. Even if we're living in big cities, and a lot of folks come in from, you know, top tier, you know, top markets, it's really that return to nature that you get to return to who it is you are, and then make the next right move in your life, whether it's your business or relationship or, 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 or personal life. Um, so that's what we're finding people are doing. And then whatever you're learning here. It's just a byproduct, right? Whether it's animal psychic or leadership or whatever, just a byproduct of you returning to you. And who would have thought that that would have been marketable in 2022? Not all I, done. I'm the first one to look around and say, "Wait a minute, huh? How'd this happen?" I just had an idea because I thought it'd be it'd be interesting for me. I didn't realize so many people would also be interested. But you know, such as such as life when you hit lightning in the bottle sometimes with a business and. Um, yeah.
0: Now, now I've I've got another question. As I was uh, after we first met, and I went to the website and really did a little research, and I I, uh, I want to ask a question about the food. So you've got this gourmet uh, program, and th- the thing that hit me was okay. So let's say, for instance, I want to host a leadership retreat there for five days. How many people leave Himaloa with a whole new sense of health and well-being for having consumed nothing but your amazing food for five days, like maybe you're being generous by saying pounds.
1: amazing. Are you? Are you? Are you dancing around the fact that we're vegan, Doug Thorpe? We could say it out loud. I'm not ashamed to no, say. We're no, uh, no, no. <laughs> well, here, so I have a great story for you. We hosted the United Nations Development Sustainable Development Program. These guys flew in from all around the world, and they often will fly in and do their leadership retreats at a hotel by the airport in whatever country they're flying into. We had people come in from Senegal, Africa, Singapore, literally to Costa Rica for a four-day retreat. And I'll never forget it. The UN coordinator that did the deal with us, she told me this story later. It's also a female with a bunch of guys. As they're driving up the mountain, it is revealed to them that it's a plant-based campus. And they're like, they are so PO'd. They're like, what do you mean? It's vegan. You brought us to a (laughs) vegan campus with no alcohol. Are you insane? Like these guys, you know, they go to their, they go to their hotel conferences and they have their steaks and they have their, so I was like, oh my God, when I found out about this, listen, the first day they were complaining because they were, they didn't know what they were walking into. Second day they were renewing. Okay. So the food, even with people that are skeptical of how in the world they're going to be able to do this. We know that we're dealing with, we know that people are skeptical. And so the chef and his team, they're creating these things where you're like, you think you're coming and eating salad and soup because you're eating vegan for a week. And suddenly you start eating gourmet food that you'd pay top dollar for at San Francisco or Boston or New York. It's, it's really blows people's mind. So I think it's not only the Physical health aspect: People do drop a few pounds. They cleanse. I mean, it sounds silly, but you do because you're eating very healthy. I mean, we have a organic, no spray farm, like all these things. But it's also a mental shift too, because you're like, whoa, whoa! I didn't realize that I could eat like this and feel this way, uh, and that I'm not eating any meat. So it's just we're just creating possibility for people. Listen, uh, you're, you're looking at someone who's the CEO of the place who came up with the idea of doing plant based. And I had a burger when I was in Paris a few few weeks ago. I, I had sushi a couple of days ago. I'm not a Bible-thumping vegan. I'm just creating possibility for people as they turn to the next chapter of their life, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, no, that's what I – and that's my point. And I, I... – uh, you know, again, I, I, refer to the website and I have a phenomenal job and story there. And I'm on the pictures that have all the food in it. I'm going, that looks so good. I don't know what it is, but I got to have <laughs> some of that.
1: <laughs> oh, from so, your mouth to God's ears, Doug, I got to tell you, you're very generous in these interviews. You really set people up to really well, be who it is they are.
0: Well, uh, it's been a pleasure. And actually, as I look at the clock here, I know we got to wrap it up, Jake. You're a busy man, and this has been great. But we need to put a bow on this. so we, we talked about the website, com. if you're looking. Any other way people need to get a hold of you if they're interested in finding out more?
1: They, they can get uh, me personally on all the socials at Jake Sasseville. By the way, if you use promo code Jake on any one of the retreats, if you're a Doug Thorpe listener, um, promo code Jake will get you three hundred and fifty dollars off when you're booking. I just like to pass that on to people because awesome. Uh, awesome. you know it's about ten percent off a ticket, give or take whichever retreat. Um, or and, you know, people can get me at Jake Saseville. That's also good too.
0: Okay, that's great. Well, Jake, this has been awesome, and uh, it's an amazing journey, man. Congratulations on everything Thank you've you. accomplished there. And uh, I am still working, uh, for the record, and I'll say this publicly on tape, I, I owe your person a call. I have not gotten back to her yet, but she was very diligent in reaching out. So uh, cool. we'll have that discussion soon. Well, you
1: mentioned you and the missus, and a friend of yours might want to come. So we said we would love to have you and the missus come, and your friend. Yeah. So yeah, yeah yep. that's great. So, Thanks, uh, Doug.
0: Very good. Well, thanks Jake Um, and folks, we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, I do, as I frequently say on this show, we wanna remind you about our video uh, edition over on YouTube. Channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, uh, join in, uh, subscribe to it. You'll get all the updates on everything. This show does drop three days a week, so uh, be on the watch if you want to sign up on our newsletters. You can get the uh, weekly digest. I want to highlight that. You're not going to get peppered every day that a show drops, but at the end of the week, you'll get a nice uh, catalog of the shows that have uh, released that week. You'll get all the contact info and show notes and everything from everybody. So uh, join into that list, if you will. And in the meantime, uh, we're going to say goodbye, let you go. Have a great day. Hope to see you again soon. Take care. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.